They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. There we go. Looks good. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're back in Magellan's at the movies head headquarters in uh, <laughs> your base. No, and now in in downtown Austin, Texas. We've just been handed today's script by um, uh, Jessica, our script girl, and Nathan has uh, a cup of his favorite brew of coffee. Uh, procured by our, <laughs> thank you, Nathan. Procured by our wonderful assistant, Richard. Yeah. Good job, guys. Yep. Good job, everyone. Good job, Jake. Getting done. Flying down here to play it. Yep. Live for us. Flying back up to Iowa tomorrow. We appreciate the t- the uh, huge time sink that our <laughs> podcast is for Mr. Brand. Yeah. I hope he gets lots of schoolwork done on the plane. Me too. Uh, in all seriousness, we're back here. We're in person. We're recording a bit earlier in the week than usual. Not that you'll be able to tell. Yeah, but just like if Christopher Nolan gets shot and killed right. Right. And we <laughs> tomorrow. Speaking of which, I keep on forgetting to mention, rest in peace to Lance Reddick. Oh, uh, yes. Great actor. I, I regret to say that I don't know him for his most lauded work, The Wire, having only seen two episodes of it. But... I was always excited to see him and hear his unique, uh, smooth timbers. And uh, yeah, I was I was very sad to hear of his passing. Yeah, it's, I thought it was cool that with very short notice, they had the In Loving Memory for Lance Reddick at the beginning of John Wick mm-hmm. uh, 4. Because he died like uh, yeah. less than a week before the movie came out, I want to say. Yeah. It was not very long. It's true. But we're recording early, so if anything big movie-wise happens Wednesday or Thursday, that's why we're not mentioning it here. In terms of big movie stuff, Elliot, a couple of trailers came out. I know you haven't, I'm assuming you haven't seen all of them, but uh, Blue Beetle, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Barbie. Uh, What do you think? I've only seen the Blue Beetle trailer, and I didn't even watch it with sound on. (laughs) It was just one of those... It was, like, recommended on YouTube, and so I hovered my cursor over it, and then, you know, it, it played, but it was silent, so I watched it in a little window with subtitles. <laughs> um, I'm really excited for uh, Across the Spider-Verse. I absolutely love Into the Spider-Verse, um, so I don't really feel any compunction to watch the trailer, because I know I'm going to watch it, and... Uh, that was Shadow, everybody. Uh, also flew down here for the occasion. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm interested in seeing Barbie. Not as much as you apparently are. Not enough to watch the trailer or 
anything? I'll say this. Every successive trailer, and there's only been two, but both of the two trailers for Barbie have really sold me. I was kind of sold already just because the crew is an exceedingly talented group of people. Noah Baumbach writing the script, Greta Gerwig directing, um, as well as so many incredibly talented actors and actresses in the movie. But every trailer has just gotten me more and more excited. I thought the first one was really cool, really playing into that demographic of girls interested in Barbie and people who have seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> that beautiful overlap, <laughs> Venn diagrams the circle, and then uh, the new one kind of shedding a bit more light on what the story might be. I thought it looked really funny and really cool. Right. Um, yeah, I, that's definitely a much higher caliber of writing and directing than kids' movies usually draw. Like, Alfonso Cuaron uh, directed a kids' movie called, like, The Princess Something? He also directed Harry Potter. That, that too. Although that's a little more young adult, I think. But anyway, yeah, obviously I'm a fan of Greta Gerwig. Uh, I've enjoyed both of the Noah Baumbach movies I've seen. But it's just not enough to make me not feel weird about watching a movie intended for preteen girls. Well, and I think I'd be interested to see, and I guess you should have watched the trailer before we had this conversation, because there's an extended bit at the end of the trailer that, and there's even, there's more than a few jokes in the trailer that make it seem like it is not remotely for kids. That's just, <laughs> this movie is weird, man. I agree it's weird. But I still think it's going to be really good. I am beyond excited for the Oppenheimer Barbie double feature I'm going to do on the day these two come out. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, I'm probably just going to rent Barbie and watch it. No, we're going to go together and then we'll do a double episode on Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Later. Well, anyway, anyway, enough messing about. We can. Let's dive into it. We're doing a request. We had a request after the television episode. I had a friend of mine, Hannah Klein, who we always we always name the request by name. The, didn't she also request Memento? No, that was Hannah Henderson. Right. Two different. We are, are all of the women who listen to our podcast are named Hannah Elliot. <laughs> um. But she asked if we would do Black Mirror, which I mentioned in that episode is one of my favorite television shows. And uh, it was too much of a daunting task to do all of Black Mirror because there's like 20 some episodes and they're all fairly thematically dense, even the ones that are not that good. So it would take us a really long time to go through all of them. So we decided instead we'd do one of them and then maybe mention at the end, we'll mention some of our other favorites. But we decided to do 15 million merits. So, uh, Elliot, do you want to give a plot rundown of this for anyone who hasn't? It's on Netflix, so if you want to go and see it before we dive into maybe some... I, I'm assuming we're going to have spoilers because I think the ending is yeah impossible. It's impossible to talk about it without talking about the ending. So if you want to see it, it's on Netflix. It's about an hour. It's very good, to spoil my opinion. I think it's very good. Elliot, plot rundown for anyone who doesn't want to watch. But wants to listen. Yeah. Okay, yeah. To spoil my opinion, I think I prefer the other Hannah. Um, wow. But yeah, so this takes place 
in an unknown date, in an unknown place, in a giant facility uh, where people live, eat, and die, basically powering something, I guess, the world, by riding on bikes each and every day. So pretty much their entire life is wake up, have a meal, get on the bike, bike your little heart out, have a meal, back on the bike, you know. There's there's not much time for leisure, and what time for leisure you do have, uh, you pretty much spend in your room with a bunch of really lame-looking TV and one equally pathetic first-person shooter video game that I can't imagine would be any fun. Uh, there's a lot of in intricacies implied in this world, in this hierarchy, in this society. Like, there's a sort of underclass of people who are referred to as lemons, or people who have, have gone lemon. They wear uh, yellow outfits. Uh, they are overweight, uh, which implies that they didn't put enough time in on the bike. And so they're humiliated. They're treated as second-class citizens, which they clearly are. They're like janitors. They're featured heavily on the show called Bother Guts, which is something that I'm pretty sure the showrunners basically just dragged and dropped from Idiocracy, which is another, which is a different movie. So yeah, so that's all, there's a lot of context to this world. But basically, there's a bunch of people, they don't live very entertaining lives, they don't live very rich lives, uh, and they basically are just hamsters powering this weird giant facility thing. Who even knows? And everyone's dream is to leave the bike behind by being selected for a show, by going on a show called Hot Shot, which is basically America's Got Talent, if it was run by people who were even more sociopathic. There's three judges. I can't even remember their names. Um, Wraith, Hope, Charity. There you go. Uh, they each run different sort of branches of a media empire. Like, one of them is adult films. Uh, one of them is, like, I don't even know what the woman does. So, the woman, it's unclear what she does. It's unclear what the other guy does, too. So, actually, <laughs> there's a, one of them does porn. God, he does guy shows. And then the other two do things of indeterminate nature. And if you're selected for that, if they select you, they'll put you on one of their shows or something. You'll get a slot on their stream. Yeah. Um, and then you then you live the good life. Yeah. So, all that context aside, and there's even more context that I'm not even mentioning, but mm -hmm. that's what you need to know. And then into this world, we meet Bing, played by the always delightful Daniel Kaluuya, meets and is taken by a woman named Abby, whom he, like, develops a crush on, and he hears her singing, and he says that she should try out for Hotshot, um, because he thinks that her singing is, quote-unquote, real, and he's very concerned with finding something authentic in a highly corporatized, consumerist world that he lives in. So he convinces her to get on the show. She sings, um, and they like the judges like her, but the singing judge person doesn't like her enough to give her a show. So judge whatever his name Wraith. is, whatever, judge Wraith, um, says, "Well, just come be in the pornos that I do." And then because she was given 
compliance. <clears throat> I think it's literally just called compliance. No, it's compliance. I'm really certain it's compliance. It's compliance. Do you have subtitles? I guarantee you it's compliance. Because I, I thought it was a stupid name, and I wanted to have been wrong, so I paused when there was a shot of the container, and it was compliance. So she took a stupidly named co concoction called Compliance, which just made her amenable to their suggestions, obviously. She agrees. Bing is devastated. And so he hatches a plan to get back at the people who have stolen the one thing that was real in his life. But will he succeed in his endeavors to, uh, to shock his society out of its consumerist stupor? Or will... <laughs> Something else that's bad happened. I don't know. That's the that's the basic plot rundown. Wow! Wow! Thank you, Elliot. Yeah, that was that was long because it takes a lot to understand what's going on. Well, yeah, because there's a lot. All of the Black Mirror episodes, or at least most of them, take place in a world that's um, slightly removed from our own. I'd say this is probably the most sci-fi it gets in terms of. I think Metalhead is maybe also fairly far in the future, but this is probably the most distinct sort of society from our own that we get a glimpse at. Metalhead is hilarious because there's just nothing intimidating about that stupid robot dog. Okay, anyway. So I think this is one that has a lot of extra context. Yes. All of this context aside, I really enjoyed this. I think I told you right before we started filming that about 20 minutes in, I was like, oh man, maybe I hadn't watched this in a while. I love Black Mirror. I watched all of it, I think, before season four came out, because I remember when season four came out. So I remember watching that when it came out on Netflix. I also remember being disappointed in season four. <laughs> okay, whatever. So I watched all of these a long time ago, and I've watched this one, as well as other ones that I like quite a bit intermittently over the past couple of years, and I've shown them to friends and stuff. So um, I hadn't seen this one in maybe a year or so, and about 20 minutes in, I, I was like, oh, maybe I kind of overrated this in my head. But then as it went on, and especially the last like 10 minutes, I, I really enjoyed this. So I'm really excited to kind of dive in, and especially since it seems like you did not enjoy it as much. So I'm I'm excited for another contentious episode. Right, right. After we've had a lot of ones where it's been a big hug fest, now it's a, a slug fest. <laughs> <laughs> From hug fest to slug fest. That's yeah. Good. But I really enjoy it. Opening thoughts, I really enjoy this. It's got everything I like about Black Mirror episodes in it. Um, okay. Whatever. Uh I have also seen all of Black Mirror. I am significantly less taken with the show than Nathan is. There are episodes that I really, really enjoy, but they are absolutely the exception to the rule. I don't want to give away too much about what I think about this. I don't want to front load my thoughts here mm. because what I think about Black Mirror in large part applies to this episode. You mm. could just, they're interchangeable. But so as like a sneak preview I typically find Black Mirror to be impressive in a lot of ways that are very cold and impersonal. I usually end up feeling very much like I'm watching things at 
a pretty far remove. I don't really feel invested. I feel like I'm in a really sleek modern museum viewing all of the pieces from a distance and definitely able to appreciate the technical mastery on display, but not really finding much artistry to it, if that mm. makes any sense. Um, and I think that, that that applied to this episode as well as to most the series at large. Interesting, interesting. Okay, well, before we get bogged down with maybe some of the thematic things, because that sounds maybe a bit more thematic, uh, let's get started with some stuff. I really think the production on this episode is really impressive. I think they do a good job of doing with what had to be very little money, because this was the first season and it was a tiny show at this point. I think they do a really good job of conveying a whole society, or at least a very fully realized society. There's a lot of little details that I like, like the there's only one bathroom for all of the genders, stuff like that I find interesting. I think there's a lot of really good little world building things like the lemons and a lot of the stuff you talked about when you did the plot rundown that we get kind of a grasp of how it works and how the society functions in what I feel is a very organic way. And I think this is true almost across the board, that the Black Mirror episodes have very good production and do a really good job of communicating the idea of the society that they're creating in the episode without making it just a huge exposition dump of, like, this is what the world is like. Wow, we're going to get to the disagreements right off the bat then, because I actually found the production of this episode to be I, I really felt like I could see that the production value was significantly lower when compared to the other seasons when I think it got picked up by Netflix. The sets were very bare bones, and there weren't very many people on them. And that's not necessarily a problem, but within the narrative, it felt like it was trying to communicate a scale mm. that I didn't really get. Because we were limited, we were very limited in our locations, the rooms were very small, we didn't get to see a whole lot of this facility, so the extent to which this is reflective of a larger society, I didn't really get. They have the one shot of Bingham and Abby, where you can see a ton of other rooms of people riding bikes, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, because they're in a dining area. So I'm not sure why they're looking out at a bunch of bike areas. Doesn't matter. But yeah, I felt like they I felt like their reach kind of exceeded their grasp in this one. Mm. That's interesting. I think I guess I agree with you that they do give the sense that the entire world is like this, or at least a large chunk of the world is like this. And then there's only kind of glimpses of that, like you said, in that one shot. And then when they go on hot shots, there's obviously a very large crowd of Xbox Live sort of <laughs> avatars. Right. Which I don't know if they... I, I the wanna say, I want to say they are actually Xbox Live. That, like, they requisitioned from Microsoft to get those graphics and stuff. Because I don't think... I'm pretty sure all of the screens in the episode are not green screened. They're all like, real screens that were really showing the stuff, 
I want to say. But I'm not sure. Nathan has a big book of Black Mirror, like, behind-the-scenes details, so I'm inclined to take his word on this. Yes, but that's interesting that you... I guess I would say I don't think it really matters, because I think along with being very good at communicating the world-building, I think they're also very smart in terms of not getting distracted by world building and not spending so much time on look at the great scale of this thing when what they're focused on is sort of a human story. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not a huge deal. And I, I agree that one of Black Mirror's strengths is putting people into societies that are clearly well thought out and complex, not info dumping them, but also layering in hints and context into the narrative so that you get a better understanding. As it goes on, you get a better understanding of how things work without having to rely on blatant exposition. I mean, it serves the same function as exposition. It's just, it's worked into the story and into the dialogue rather than somebody just saying, you know, the year is 2099 and we live in X and do E and are ruled over by F. We do these things. Yeah. So I guess then to move on to the next thing, what do you think, and there's limited time with it because it's only an hour long episode, but uh, Bing and Abby are sort of the main crux, or at least Bing is the main character. Uh, what do you think of them? Um, I'll just say this. Abby is a real nothing. She appears, they have one sort of neat, cute encounter, and then he decides to buy the ticket for her, and then she gets whisked away by the higher-ups. So Abby is kind of a nothing, but... Mm, I don't really have an issue with it, but... Well, I think I think that it is an issue, because I agree, and also we're supposed to believe that Bing is so taken with this, you know, personality vacuum that he would sacrifice basically his entire financial well-being to put her on a stage and it speaks to some degree to the depth of his longing for something real but i don't know we just don't he's a very quiet and reserved person he doesn't talk much so we don't really get much of an insight into his personality that we would or that i would buy that that he that is the depth of this desire that he has. And I also well, I, I, I just find it weird in general that he is really taken with her, but also surely he knows that if she is accepted onto Hotshot, onto one of the slots, even as a singer, she's she's going to she's still going to be part of the, you know, of the, 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 the media thing. I don't see, I mean, obviously she's in a very degrading state, uh, working with, I refuse to learn his name. Well, I'm not going to say it just so okay. you can make fun of me saying it. The judge who does the adult films, but I don't see, I guess I don't see why he thinks she's going to be some, she's going to bring legitimacy in her capacity as a singer. Mm. any more than she could as, you know, a sex object. Um, and also, yeah, I just, I mean, I love Daniel Kaluuya. I think he's a great actor. And I think that the 
the woman who plays Abby does a very good job as well. But I, I just didn't really feel like I had any sense of either of their characters to where I was, I A, bought, or B, was invested in their story. And that speaks to my broader problem with Black Mirror, that I feel it's so impersonal and cold and mechanical. Like it's, you know, it's very much concerned with this, these different screeds about technology and the dangers thereof. And so I feel like the human aspect of that really gets crunched in the wheels of this machine that they're building. And I, I'm using this mechanical language very purposefully because it's a, it's all about technology and stuff. Although I know I've been talking for a while, but one more thing. I don't see how this episode is particularly about technology because reality TV, consumerist culture, that, that exists in our world as well, dude. Well, first of all, I don't think, you know, obviously not all Black Mirror episodes are about technology. I mean, the C series premiere has nothing to do with technology. I, I think all of them are just different ways to get at what humans' relationship with each other is and how that's sort of affected by technology is what I think a lot of the episodes sort of revolve around. That's fair. And I guess I already said that I think Abby, I would agree that Abby is really not much of a character. And I will also say this, I think Bing is a good character, but I also think that because I am certainly attributing a lot of things to him that the episode doesn't necessarily warrant attributing, but I do, that stuff like I see a very clear arc that he's looking for something real, but he believes enough in the system that he does want her to go on it because he thinks that can be something real. And when that's proven so horrifically wrong, I think that's when he sort of turns the corner and becomes uh, the person who makes the monologue at the end of the episode. But I don't think necessarily all of that's in the episode, but I also don't think all of it needs to be in the episode because the episode is, in my opinion, speaking to something that's very universal that a lot of people in modern society feel that the artifice of consumerism and commercialism just sucks reality dry of anything that's meaningful. So I don't think they'd have to do a ton of heavy lifting for Bing because I think a lot of people are already like two steps away from where he ends up at the end of the episode. Yeah, and I do think that the episode relies a lot on mm -hmm. the audience's pre-installed ideas of technology, our relationship to technology, and our relationship to products and consumerism. And that's, there's not, that's not necessarily a problem, but in this case, I just think, well, I've seen this done so much better in other mm. places. You know, for as much as I don't love Fight Club, I feel like Fight Club is making a very similar point about consumerism and about a lack of authenticity, albeit filtered through a gender lens rather than a technology lens. Yeah. And then Blade Runner 2049 is a movie that I flipping love and that I think 
talks about a search for authenticity in a heavily industrialized consumerist world, but grounds it in a story and in characters that are much more relatable, much more fleshed out, and just much more human. Mm. That's what I think that this episode and Black Mirror at large lacks, is a human touch. See, that's interesting, because I always... The thing that I like the most about Black Mirror is that I do feel like it maintains a human touch. <laughs> and I think this episode is kind of carried by Daniel Kaluuya's natural charisma and the ability to, since you mentioned Blade Runner 2049, have a K-like, K being the protagonist of Blade Runner 2049, a K-like stoicism that when it shatters there at the end, I think it was it was really impressive. It had me feeling emotions there at the end of the episode. So I think this episode's human element is really carried by Daniel Kaluuya more than a scripting thing. But I think there's other episodes that are carried by the fact that, and I think this is true about all Black Mirror, and this is, I always take issue with people saying it's about technology because I think it's much more about what, technology tells us about humans than it is necessarily about technology. That all of the episodes or the vast majority of the episodes are more about what is revealed about us in what we need technology for, that we need technology for communication and that reveals our need for communication. We need technology to, um, I'm trying to think of other to enact justice because we desire justice. Like, that's what I sort of see. And so I really love that. To keep it on kind of this episode, I had the thought of, cause you know, like you said, it's not exactly an original thought to say reality TV is a little dehumanizing or has the capacity to do it. But what I think is interesting about this episode is it kind of shows why someone would be willing to dehumanize themselves. And I I wrote down here in my notes that it seems like society, this society constantly plugs into these people that they are just a cog in the system. So they're already convinced that they are not as meaningful as they really are. And so then when they have a shot to be like big, but that involves dehumanizing themselves like Abby does and even like Bing does at the end they're willing to do it because their society has already told them you don't really matter that much anyway and so they're all there it's not a huge leap for them to say okay if I don't matter that much then I'm gonna get mine like if Bing has already been beaten down so much that when they say hey you can completely sell out and spew meaningless statements not meaningless statements, but statements that you clearly don't believe in since you don't act on them in order to be better. He's like, okay, fine. Like, that's fine by me. And I think the fact that he doesn't drink, I agree, that's a dumb name. The, what was it? Compliance. Compliance. The fact that he doesn't drink the compliance, that is a really stupid, I really thought it was just compliance. <laughs> that is a dumb name. But I think the fact that he doesn't drink it shows even more that, right, he's already been dehumanized. So, it's not that reality TV is dehumanizing, it's that society is dehumanizing and reality TV exploits that fact. We do live in a society. We do be living in a society. 
So since you brought it up, the ending is what largely saves this episode for me. It's mm. Daniel Kaluuya hard carries this because of his natural talent and charisma, even when he's playing a reserved, quiet character. But, you know, he also played that kind of character in Nope, and he hard carried that movie as well. And also, I do really like the ending because it is, it is a, I think it's a great example of how to subvert expectations mm. because it sets up an obvious sort of win for the character. Uh, he has, a, and it does sort of hinge on the compliance. I can't, I, I really don't like saying that word, <laughs> but it does hinge on the, it hinges on his glass blade, which I'm not sure how he, I feel like these people would be observed more or somebody would note it. Somebody, it would be reported that his room screen was broken. And then they would be like, hmm, wonder where this giant shard of glass went off to. But whatever, I'm willing to forgive it. It hinges on his glass knife and his compliance thing uh, that he took from Abby. So Abby drinks the compliance. She gives the empty container to him. He holds on to it. And so then he doesn't drink the drug cocktail that it obviously is when he gets to the thing. Cause he's like, I've already got this empty one. So you don't need to give it to me. Not sure why she believes him, but again, we're clearly setting aside some plot inconsistencies, some leaps in logic to make it to this point, but they're not huge. They're not, you know, world breaking or anything. So it's obviously setting up him to win, but and that is what I expected to happen. That is what the audience presumably expects to happen. But even in the absence of this drug cocktail, he's still seduced to selling his soul. And, you know, the system incorporates his resistance and basically defangs it by corporatizing it. Yeah. And I think that's really good. I think that's really insightful. I think that's really an interesting thing to think about how resistance or activism or what have you to systems work within those systems. Mm. Um, this is something that, uh, so this is going to, this is going to be a really weird example, but something that Marxist playwrights really struggle with is how to call attention to the fact that they are making a product that is, benefiting from a system that they don't believe in. And mm. the way they get around it is really stupid because they basically, you know, they don't have any sets. Uh, they don't have any props. It's basically just the people on stage and it's purposely very stilted and very awkward. And it's all, it's all intended to make you be constantly reminded. This is a product. This, this is not real. This is fake. Yeah, this is fake. Mm. Um, so that's, that's not what Bing does, but it does sort of, lead you to wonder, oh, how are you supposed to, how can art be um, uh, activist or how can it have a socially conscious message, which I think is a thing that art having gets, you know, poo-pooed on too much, I, I, to an unwarranted degree. Mm -hmm. And that's all, that's all really interesting. And I also, I really like the way the judge Judge whatever, hope or charity hope. or hope, sure. Yeah. The way Judge Hope handles it. Yeah. Because I feel, and it's a lot, a lot of it is down to the performance. Because I feel like you can really see him thinking, how am I going to work? How am I going to play this? Yeah. 
And he, the way he manipulates him, I think is genius. It's a really good piece of writing. It's a really good piece of acting. And I do, I really like this ending. So yeah, I, I think that the ending is really well done mechanically and thematically. Well, and I think the ending has also, I mean, obviously it was not like a revelatory statement at the time to say, oh, it's hard to, yeah, say something meaningful in a society that degrades things of meaning. But I think that continues to resonate and be very true. I think of like things like politicians using Born in the USA, a song that Bruce Springsteen wrote about like a friend of his who I think went to Vietnam and died. Like it's a very, it is very much critiquing America and the mil American military complex and those sorts of things. And it's used by a lot of politicians as like a raw, raw America sort of thing mm. that and I think there's lots of other examples of, I think a lot of Rage Against the Machines music is pulled and then sapped of all of its deeper meaning to just become a, oh yeah, screw the system, but it's coming from the system, right? That there at the end, Bing is saying, it's all fake, it's all artifice, but you know, they are profiting off of him. I love that they're selling the like knife thing for the, what are they called? Doubles? Doppels. Doppels. Doppel, like a doppel. doppelganger. Yeah, I, okay, I got that. Thank you. But I, I think it's an end, I think it's a fantastic ending, and I think again, it speaks more to the human element than the technology element. That it's not saying, oh, reality shows are dehumanizing because that's obvious. It's saying it's trying to kind of get at the question: Why would someone enter something that's so blatantly dehumanizing? And it's because they've already been taught that they're they don't matter as much as they sh they do. They really do. Yeah. And then, so here's where we get back to the, my problem with this episode and the series at large. Is we that... Were we were going so well. I know. <laughs> we, were all, we were talking about how much we enjoyed it. It's so resonant. <laughs> is that I appreciate and like this ending in the same way that I would appreciate and like, you know, an academic essay mm. or a nonfiction book in that I don't feel any real sense of tragedy or loss or any kind of human emotion at Bing's fall. Mm. And I think it's because, again, the show holds its characters at such a distance, so I feel like I'm watching everything at such a distance because the show is so concerned with constructing a statement that the human element the human element of tragedy, of loss, and of longing and that stuff. You know, the cheesy romantic stuff that is cheesy and romantic, but that is also undeniably human, just gets lost in the distance between me and the characters, me and the world, me and the show. So what I'm seeing is the statement, and the characters just feel like they're, you know, sentences or letters on a page constructing that sentence. Mm. that sentence. And that's what I mean when I say that the human element is getting crunched in the wheels of the statement that the show, that the episode is making. Interesting. Well, see, and I think it's just the different ways we kind of come at it. Because I, I think I kind of agree with you, and then I also think I don't really care. That I, I find the statement it's making so interesting, I don't really care that the human element isn't all that there because I feel like I sort of see the human element or I bring in the human element by just 
how the episode's message kind of connects with me. Like I said, the last, when Daniel Kaluuya does the last um, uh, monologue, I, I felt, I felt moved by it when he, especially when he starts like really breaking and he's dripping sweat and he's just yelling, you know, oh, F you and F you for this and yada, yada. And he's, saying how, you know, he had one real good thing and it was taken away. It was ruined by the system. I I felt something there. So I guess I just see the human element. I'm more, I don't know, human than you. <laughs> more human than human. More human than human. Bit of a reference yeah, there. Yeah, reference. Woo! Um, well, I guess uh, before we get to sort of maybe final thoughts, I just want to say, I think the sequence where... He's in his room and the ad for the adult film with Abby comes on and he can't skip it. And when he blocks his eyes, it right gets like angry at him and says, you obstructed and it won't continue the ad until he starts looking. That is horrifying and is such, I mean, that is quintessential black mirror of just technology just being abysmally frightening. And so I just, I wanted to, every time I, that is one of the things that has always stuck out from, for me from this episode is that moment of he doesn't have the cre- the merits to skip it and he has to watch it. And I'm like, oh, that is, that is rough. I love that moment. I can already tell you're going to poo-poo over it. I am because that's actually another overarching problem that I have much less with this episode, oh much more with other episodes is that Black Mirror has a very nasty, sadistic edge to it. Oh, yeah. Like, and I know that listeners will by now be well acquainted with my fondness for art and stories that are on the darker side, on the more, you know, depressing or pessimistic side. But... The thing that differentiates, you know, good Fincher from bad Fincher, I think, is a combined sense of sadism and voyeurism mm. in that's present in Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and is not present in, like, Seven or Gone Girl or Zodiac or what have you. And I feel like Blade... Whoa, I almost said Blade Runner. Black Mirror definitely airs on the side of sadistic voyeurism much more often than I would like. And that kind of thing, that, you know, bad Fincherisms, that's where I'm like, ah, oh, this is just gross. And this just makes me feel bad. And I I, I want to feel bad in a different kind of way. <laughs> I want to feel bad in a different kind of way. And also I want to connect more with what the art in question is saying and why it feels bad, Mm. why it thinks that I should feel bad or thinks that I shouldn't feel bad in the case of Seven's ending. And it's not, it's not too bad here. Uh, You know, that's, it's, this is probably one of the better examples of it being done right, because I think it's more interested in the human impact it's having on her former friend, friend, they knew each other for like two minutes. (laughs) Two days. Um, but yeah, it's much more applicable to the other, to the rest of the series. Something like, you know, like Metalhead is much more sadistic and voyeuristic. And yeah, that kind of, that, that kind of thing, I'm just like, yeah, I, I just, I just don't want to see that. 
That see, that's interesting too, because I also don't like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo for a lot of the reasons that you said that I find it kind of just graphically dark for no purpose. But I guess I just typically see there's a few episodes of Black Mirror where I kind of agree with you, shut up and dance being a special oh, yeah. one that I feel like is very edgy and graphic for very little reason and kind of black museum too a bit i think but uh, i think for most of the other ones i just i usually just have the reaction of oh that is really like twisted and dang but in like a you know i don't know sometimes i tell my dad plots of black mirror and he goes oh that is sick but he means sick and like that is really evil and twisted but also like that's a really nasty sort of moral quandary that they've made so they don't really don't, have moral quandaries a lot of these things of are moral secretly immoral of like it's a really nasty sort of almost greek tragedy-esque sort of thing sometimes i mean yeah i think this is just the sticking point that we have in our different interpretations of the show is that you know when i think of greek tragedies there there are tragic elements to this and again i come back to the metaphor of this really sleek modern museum that I just can't really invest myself in because it's so cold and hard and metallic. And I just, it's just, you know, there is no, for me, for my, you know, my interpretation of it has, or my reading of it, not my mm. interpretation of it, but my reading of it has none of that human tragedy in it. And that that is not helped by the, sadistic voyeurism aspect that i that i see in the show sure all right well um do you have any final thoughts before we get to uh some ratings here um not really i think she's a good singer i, I liked her song that's true this um, is of course the first appearance of yes anyone who knows what love is which then would go on to appear in every season as one episode where the song appears usually diet get it diegetic diegetically which is to say someone in the episode sings it or someone or something in the episode makes plays the song so it's always a fun thing to look out for in the new seasons uh yeah that reminds me the the episode that i was thinking of that was really nasty and sadistic was i think it's called crocodile yes the one with the woman the woman who's killing people yeah that one's that one's pretty nasty one's pretty nasty. But uh, on the subject of singing, I thought the music was very good in this. Uh, I really liked the bouncy, kind of playful music of Bing and Abby's friendship. Um, and then I, I liked the more foreboding, ominous tones of his descent into madness or radicalism mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, almost descent into radicalism mm -hmm. before being co-opted. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I always really like when music... Uh, is very appropriate for what's happening. When music contributes to the storytelling and the thematic uh, construction that's going on within the movie. It doesn't always make, like, in the case of something like Spencer, it doesn't always make for a soundtrack that I would want to listen to casually, but I, I do think the music in Spencer is really good in that it enhances your appreciation of the movie. Great movie. Love that movie. Johnny Greenwood on the score. Great. Amazing. Um, it's pretty good. Piano player, guitarist. Yeah. 
Um, my final thoughts were, uh, there's like three side characters in this movie. The annoying, rude man who sits Oh right yeah, the him. really obnoxious guy. Yes, uh, some redhead kid, and then a girl who has a crush on Bing, who he kind of steals her line. Dude, if, if Daniel Kaluuya gave me that look and said, thanks, I would be, I, I, I would be pretty flattered as well. <laughs> but those three side characters are kind of just weird, and I don't really see how they really serve a function in the episode besides kind of just further showing how uh, little people in this society care about themselves or others but they're all kind of one note and the annoying guy is really annoying he's very annoying mean and i don't like people who are mean <laughs> but that's pretty much that's that's my last uh, final thought all right well let's rate this sucker okay. You can go first, Elliot. I'll go first. Um, I feel like I've said a lot. I said you could. <laughs> well, good. We're on the same page. <laughs> I've said a lot about... Uh, I feel like I've gone much more in-depth in how I feel about this and why I feel the way I feel about it than I usually do. Um, so I'm not really going to... I'm not going to do too much restating. Basically, I feel like this episode of Black Mirror at Large uh, is very... Uh, it lacks a human touch, which makes me not feel very invested. It's something that I can often appreciate mechanically, but, you know, I appreciate it in the same way that I appreciate a car, you know. It's something that I that I understand how it works, and I like what it does, but, you know, in a very transactional kind of, kind of way. Mm. Um, I love Daniel Kaluuya, and I think that the ending is really smart and really well done. Those things definitely save this episode from being a complete loss. But ultimately, I just feel, I just can't get over the feeling of a very far removed between me and the, the show, the episode, its characters, and its themes. So I'm going to give it a C plus. Sorry, Nathan. All right. Well, uh, I really like And this. sorry, Hannah. Well, I don't know if she likes this episode. She just requested Black Mirror. We chose the episode, so this you is... chose the episode. I I was I you, suggested I know, really yes an yes you suggested a bunch of them. I intentionally left myself out of the process because I didn't really want to watch any of them. So <laughs> okay, well you know um, I really like this episode. It has a lot of what I really like about Black Mirror at Large. Like I said, cool world building, interesting philosophical ideas steeped in really good modern science fiction that continues to be relevant, in my opinion. This one has some great actors, especially Daniel Kaluuya, before he was really famous. I think he got the role for Get Out from this episode, I want to say, Dang. that Jordan Peele saw it and wanted him for Get Out, so which he was then nominated for an Academy Award for, so congratulations to him. But... Yeah, it's got a lot of the stuff I really love in this. My only nitpicks are those side characters are kind of pointless. And uh, I think it's a bit of a slower burn than maybe some of the other episodes. But I really like this. It's like a 9.2. I love Black Mirror. Oof. So before we move into recommendations, uh, and I guess maybe this doesn't count so much for you, but I thought we could share some of the other Black Mirror episodes we like. Because I didn't want us to do like, Break all of them, because that sounds like a huge pain. But Elliot, what's like one or two Black Mirror? You said earlier there were a few that are exceptions, but what are um, one or two that you kind of like? Uh, and you don't have to say why. You can just say what you're going to say. Like I said in 
our episode on TV. I really like the White Bear episode, although that is definitely more on the nasty, sadistic side. It, definitely more so than this episode. Not quite as much as some of the other ones. So I don't, you know, I don't love it. But I think it's... I feel like it's much more upfront in its intention to be inhuman. Uh, that sounds really harsh, but, you know, to lack a human touch. I, that's kind of the point of the episode is dehumanization. So I'm more willing to take it at face value there. Um, and I do think that it's it does present a more interesting idea and more interesting moral quandaries about this woman being punished for this heinous crime that she did commit, but that she didn't remember. Brings up a lot of stuff that I'm sure Nathan and I have both talked about in uh, different philosophy classes and just considered on our own the extent to which memory forms identity and the extent to which identity is what is punished in or rewarded in cases of, you know, crimes or rewards or what have you. Uh, so it's much more, it's a, it's playing with ideas that I'm much more interested in in the first place. So I kind of go in with more goodwill for it. And also I think it's, it's very well done horror uh, mm. because that is probably the most horror episode of the series. Uh, and beyond that, honestly, I, I, there's nothing that really stands out particularly. Yeah. Ridiculous. Okay. Well, I'll make up for it. Cause I've got a whole bunch. Uh, I also really like white bear. I think that's a really fantastic episode. White Christmas is another episode from the second season that I think is really good. It's got, it kind of introduces a lot of ideas that they play with even more later on the, down the line that are becoming more and more relevant now as AI has kind of exploded now that there's some episodes in there that deal with AI in a really interesting way. Season three, Sandra Rapino is a really good episode, kind of also somewhat about AI, but even deeper about what technology does to faith and faith in things that science and technology can't really account for. Uh, Hated in the Nation is a really fantastic episode that I think continues to age really well. And also has really great horror-esque sequences with a really cool villain or Okay, I monster. do like Hated in the Nation. Okay, there we go. Honestly, my only issue with it is they curse a lot, like more than I think they should. But Hated in the Nation is really good. USS Callister is, I think, one of the episodes a lot of people have seen. It's the first episode in season four. Jesse Plemons. And uh, I think that one's really neat. And uh, weirdly, a lot of fun. Like, it still has fairly dark elements, but it's a really neat episode. Hang the DJ is really good. It's a cool one about dating and technology. And then Smithereens from the newest season, I think, is the one I've returned to most from that season. And I really like that one and what it's kind of doing with uh, technology and people, which all of them are about, but... That one's a bit close. It's practically our own society, that one. And there's other ones I like as well, but those are kind of the big ones. Smithereens is only notable for how much they ripped off the character design of Joseph Seed from Far Cry 5 for Topher Grace's Topher character. character. It's uncanny how much alike they look. Well, I think they're both ripping off just generic, you know, cult leaders. Sort of uh, let's get into recommendations recommendations Elliot you can go first we are recommending films right 
and not, I guess mine is not necessarily similar to this episode, but it's similar to Black Mirror as a whole. Um, yeah, so this is a huge leap in terms of how much I like uh, the subject of our episode and how much I like the uh, what I'm recommending because, and I, I did actually mention it earlier, Blade Runner 2049. This is a fantastic A-plus movie. Uh, it's one of my top five favorites. I love it to pieces. Uh, it's dealing with, well, like I said in the episode, it's dealing with a very similar kind of question of looking for authenticity, looking for what's uh, real in a world that's very industrialized, very technological, very much uh, a product of products, um, I think is what somebody described it as. Karen, it might have been me, actually. I'm a genius. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know who said that. It might have been me. It might have been, some, might have been someone else. But we, we, we have a tendency to conflate what we say with what we've heard before. <laughs> we do. Uh, but that's all besides the point. This is a fantastic movie. So if you didn't know, it's a sequel to Blade Runner. It follows K, a replicant, um, hunting the one and only known child of a human replicant union. Uh, and, oh my gosh, it's so good. Ryan Gosling is, he's doing a very good job with a very stoic, unexpressive character. I think that there's a real, I think that there's a tendency to sort of write off his performance in this as just being, oh, just another blank-faced sad boy. I think he's doing a lot. I think there's a lot more under the hood in this performance than people give it credit for. But yeah, it's a slow-burning cyberpunk noir, uh, is how I would describe it. What? Way to sell it. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> oh, sick of noir. I, I like noirs. Uh, I will say our executive producer, Marissa, she hates this movie. Oh, okay, good. Uh, but uh, so it and it is not for everyone. I think that this is appealing to a relatively narrow taste. Um, I, I understand why she dislikes it, even though I won't admit that to her. Uh, Hopefully she doesn't listen to this. Yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, it really speaks to me on a lot of different levels. I really like the way that it deals with its themes of what's real, trying to figure out what's real. I think that the main character and his arc is another even better example of how to subvert expectations. And I love the way they, where they go with Kay and his journey. I won't spoil it because I think you should, even if it's not to your tastes, I think you should still watch it because I like it. People should like the things that I like. Uh, but yeah. Roger Deakins, he's an absolute master of the camera. He won his first Oscar for this. The special effects are second to none, also Oscar winning. Uh, directed by D Denis Villeneuve, or Villeneuve, I'm not sure, who's one of my favorite directors. Um, and yeah, the bursts of action, they're sparing, but I think they're really hard hitting uh, and really cool. They're, they definitely are sort of drawn from that um, old style of noir slugfests, you know? Uh, and yeah, it's just a fantastic movie. I, I love it to pieces. And yeah, you should you should absolutely watch it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm not going to add more to that because I think it was really obvious as soon as you started talking about it that you just couldn't help everything you feel about the movie coming out. <laughs> so I'm not going to start. Otherwise, I'll end up doing the same thing. But yeah, that's a fantastic movie. Probably, I think it's in my top 10 as well. 
my recommendation is a bit closer to this. I honestly see it. I mean, you could have shoved this movie into a season of Black Mirror and I wouldn't have blinked an eye. It's uh, Her, which was a movie that came out a couple of years ago from Spike Jones, who's done a couple of weird sort of movies. And it follows a man played by Joaquin Phoenix in, my opinion, one of his best roles. I think he kills it in this movie. Uh, who is kind of grappling with a divorce that he's recently had, and he gets an AI assistant who he begins to fall in love with. And so then it sort of tells the story of this love story between the two of them, him and his AI assistant, his phone, basically. Not his phone, but, you know, she's in his phone. But it's fantastic. It's got a lot of the same stuff I love in Black Mirror, a Fantastic production design, a lot of cool little world buildy sort of things. The acting is so stellar. Joaquin Phoenix is amazing. Amy Adams, it is mind-boggling that she didn't win an Oscar for this role because I think she just does an astonishing job. And just like every episode of Black Mirror, this movie is very much about what does it mean for something to be real and how the layers of artifice we put around ourselves to protect ourselves from being hurt are the same things that keep us from feeling anything truly meaningful. Very Brave New World-esque. Yes. But it's a fantastic movie. It has a, one of the most mind-boggling sequences I've ever seen that's like 45 straight seconds of pure of blank screen that I think is one of the most genius things I've ever seen in a movie. But Elliot's rolling his eyes. I'm a sucker for stuff like that, but her is my recommendation. Uh, yeah, I, I've i seen that movie once. It was a really long time ago. I don't remember loving it. I remember being interested by it. So honestly, it might be that I feel the same way about that movie that I feel about, you know, Black Mirror. Uh, the executive producer also dislikes that one, so... <laughs> well, I know... I just because I remember, maybe you don't remember, but there's a sequence in the film where Joaquin Phoenix says something about um, what I was just talking about, about artifice creating an inability to feel something. And you seemed really moved by that when you watched the movie. Really? Well, you mentioned it specifically as like something he said that you were like, that was so depressing, I don't want to watch that movie again. Wow. I don't remember that. So clearly it was so traumatic. I've repressed the memory. Uh, basically what I'm saying is I can't really comment on this because I, I, because I, I feel like I'm too far removed from the movie to give an opinion. We should rewatch it. I own it. I love it so much. We'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we use, for some reason we've taken to commenting on each other's reviews and our recommendations and whether or not we agree. So there you go. I don't know if that's true or not. But what I do know is true oh. is that life is hard and full of disappointments. <laughs> life is hard and full of technology. Ooh. Which creates disappointments. Oh, psh. You yeah. don't think Bing was disappointed? I don't know if he was disappointed. As much I would, as completely broken. I would once again say that just like Bing, we are willing and ready to sell out. Right, yes. At the barest minimum of cash. We are... Pfft. We, our hands are extended. Just put the money in our hands and we will... We Any any movie you want us to review positively, we yep. will review positively given enough money. So, mm -hmm. uh, um, It would take a lot 
for uh, I think that I probably would never say anything good about Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, there are other movies that it would take quite a bit, um, but you know we uh, we have our price. Yeah, we, would we for the going price for a positive review of uh, Fight Club? I think is let's say ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand? Good grief! I was gonna say like fifteen bucks. Wow, <laughs> fifteen bucks! You, I like Fight Club more than you, I guess. But or you just hold your principles in lower regard. I do. That is true. But I'd like to uh, thank Hannah Klein for requesting this so I could watch Black Mirror. Whatever. <laughs> re 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 request something better next time, Hannah. Be more like Hannah. I'm <laughs> kidding. It's fine. Thank you for thank you for engaging with the show. <laughs> with this. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope everyone has a great week. We'll be back next week with another regular episode of the podcast.